destino para ti lo que viniera de ti. Welcome to the Inside the Journey podcast. This is episode number 79 for February 15th, 2015. I hope it's 79 at least. I think it is. <laughs> I bet it is. Yeah. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And I'm John Younger. And today we are going to be talking about some articles that have been in the news. They're not necessarily current events, but they are articles we've been reading although I guess one is a current event. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And John, do you want to tell us what yeah, our I think the article is? First, we're going to acknowledge that Oscar Romero, the Archbishop of San Salvador, who died in 1980, has been uh, named a martyr by the Catholic Church. That this is significant because it is one step away from being sainted, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's a recognition of the work that he did in El Salvador and what he means to the people there. And we'll put a link in the show notes to the articles that we're talking about. And this one comes from NPR, and it's a two-minute, two-and-a-half-minute audio program that just kind of explains everything. If this develops into something more, we'll probably spend a lot more time with it. But just for now, we wanted to point to that article and suggest that you go check it out. It's it, I'm not sure, you know, I think most of our audience is pretty well aware of him, but for those that aren't, this is somebody that risked his own safety and and died for what he believed, and he was somebody who was trying to protect the people at a time of a lot of government repression where people were dying in the streets and disappearing, and he asked soldiers not to commit crimes, not to, to, to lay down their arms, and soon after he did that publicly, he was literally assassinated in his church while saying mass at the altar. Yeah, he was a pretty important figure to the people in El Salvador, and his death was uh, definitely one of the, I don't want to say, it, it wasn't the turning point in the war, but it was a major event that happened in the course of that 13-year war that really kind of, I believe, started it or set off the initial round of, of fighting. All right, so that is the... The first article that we wanted to talk about, and then there are uh, kind of two others that I have read recently, and uh, I think the first one that I wanted to, to talk about, which I thought was really interesting and ties into our podcast with Jorge Cuellar, is an article ty- entitled The Science of Suffering, and uh, I personally found this one uh, very interesting for uh, a couple reasons. In the the New Republic, written by Judith Shulovitz, Shulovitz or Shulovitz. Yeah, there's some hard names in this article, but Mm -hmm. uh, we we of course will link to it so you can read it. The gist of the article is talking about children whose parents have uh, been through traumatic experiences, and how the children are more likely to suffer from PTSD and other trauma-related ailments because of what their parents went through. And so the article kind of looks at it from, or explains it from two different perspectives. One is the psychological perspective of that the parents who have been through trauma are sort of dealing with these psychological effects, which then affects the way that they communicate and interact with their children. 
It yeah. also gets into the biological too, right? Right, which I thought was fascinating. And the biological side is that certain chemicals get released while babies are inside the mother and how that affects the child and makes it more likely that they will that they could potentially develop PTSD. And so one of the studies was they looked at uh, biological twins and they looked at twins, one pair of the twin that got PTSD and one that that did not. And what they found was that the twin who developed PTSD had been through a traumatic experience, but both twins were predisposed to uh, PTSD. And the article looked at it looked at, I think, mainly three different populations uh, that had undergone a collective trauma. One was uh, Cambodian Americans living in Lowell, Mass, which is close to home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another was Holocaust uh, survivors and their children. And a third was Native Americans on the Pine Ridge Sioux Indian Reservation. Yeah. And what I found, or, or the tie-in that I saw between the last podcast that we did with Jorge Cuellar is he he sort of made this comment that he said, I've kind of come to the extreme conclusion that many that all Salvadorans suffer from PTSD. And uh, oh, okay. it, it kind of clicked in my mind reading this article that maybe there is this sort of collective trauma that a lot of Salvadorans suffer from. And I can think of, you know, some of my family members that I think have certainly suffered due to due to the, just the trauma of the time and everything that, that was happening. So it's very interesting for me to hear that there is not only this sort of psychological link, but also the biological link to the potential to develop PTSD and some of, you know, other trauma-related uh, kind of ailments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I thought it was, it was really interesting how the article would talk about how populations may be more vulnerable, you know, and, and it, it acknowledged, the article acknowledged this is a sensitive topic because it, it wasn't trying to make any claims that, you know, a certain race or ethnicity would be less strong than another. It's just saying that through collective trauma, some of these groups would be more susceptible to alcoholism or prison or Right. Or just not not assimilating as well, or or things yeah. like that. And I and I, you know, part of that they were saying is cultural, right? That it, part of it was the way that they handled the trauma, and and I I can't remember the specific two cultures that they looked at, but one pushed the 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 trauma away and kind of didn't want to talk about it, and sort of you know it, it's similar to holding in your feelings, right. and the other one. They, they uh, they did a comparison of Jewish Holocaust survivors yep. who they said tend to commemorate to deal with the pain. You know, there's so much commemoration of the Holocaust and so much acknowledgement, and that's part of the way they've overcome. And with Cambodians, that the, essentially the the suggestion was that they they don't do that. In fact, they're more focused on the future and not looking back at it. And then it just went into the different ways that that people are trying to overcome these traumas. And, and maybe it's a little bit of both, you know, it's, it's in the end, but there were definitely cultural pressures for one or the other. So just overall, it was uh, I thought it was a really interesting article, uh, both for the Salvadoran tie-in and just the, the sort of scientific and cultural aspects of it as well. It is a pretty long article, so, um, you know, we'll, we'll link to it and you can read the entire thing.
and I'm sure we're missing some details, but uh, you know, no, I, I think would... you make you make a really good point. I mean, so often El Salvador is compared to Massachusetts in size and population, and if Massachusetts had had a a war fought within the state boundary in the 1980s and 90s, and 70 to 80,000 people died and a quarter of the population lost their homes. That's not something you you just get over, right? Right. When when the U.S. had a civil war more than 100, close to 150 years ago now, right? Worse, is that, I'm going to be embarrassed about my math, but yeah, it's approaching that. <laughs> you know, we still relitigate this, and, and uh, I, I don't know. I don't know where the collective trauma ends there, but I know that for generations afterwards, they were dealing with it, and, and it could be argued we still deal with it. Yeah. So interesting article about collective trauma and how different cultures deal with it, I think. And uh, do, do you want to talk about our, our third article? Sure. The third one was fascinating. You had found this because like the Cambodians in Lowell example, it's very close to home. And it was looking at the, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but Wabanaki, I think I did it right, the Wabanaki tribes in Maine and and the history of separating a lot of these children from their families and, and raising them in foster homes and, and such. So that's what that article is about. It's, a, it's in the International Center for Transnational Justice website and it's a very nice article with a lot of great pictures and pretty detailed accounts of it focuses on a man who got separated from his family at a young age and uh, and then the the process of of truth commissions that are that has started to arise in maine to to look at some of what has happened in the past with with these vulnerable kids and what was interesting to me is again there was this this tie-in to El Salvador where there were many parallels I mean even though the stories are sort of the 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 separations are very different. In Maine, it was uh, children being separated under the pretense that Native American parents were too poor or ill-suited to be parents and that these kids needed to be removed and put into the foster care system, mm -hmm. which then led to sort of some not-so-great circumstances for the children. Uh, and there's a, there's a lot of history with this in, uh, with the Native Americans in, in the U.S., and uh, Dating back to the Civil War, and a lot, a lot of times it has to do with. I studied some of this in college. <laughs> um, a lot of times it has to do with reform movements, where they're, you know, supposedly trying to make things better for people. So it didn't just happen in Maine, is the point. And there is a history of sending Native Americans to boarding schools um, against against their will, and stuff like that. And in fact, my my high school was even founded in in part, I believe, to you know as as part of the work of a man who was trying to Christianize a lot of Indians. My high school was founded back in the 1600s and has a, a, quite a bit of that in its history. But part of the school song was even, I remember part of the, one of the lyrics was he taught both whites and Indians to walk the narrow way. <laughs> and he founded this ancient Latin school of truth. <laughs> so it's been going on for hundreds of years, right? And right. here it is in our midst with somebody who, um, in Maine, who was taken from his family, and and you know maybe there was even trouble in his family, but at the same time he was put through a foster care system where he was with several abusive parents, and he ended up 
getting so angry and, and feeling so out of resources that he lit one of their barns on fire to get out of that situation. And then he ended up in the juvenile system and, you know, um, so it wasn't yeah. easy for him. And the article sort of points out how uh, in in Maine, you know, there there's very little talk of this. And, of course, in the nation as well of what we did to these to the Native Americans who were here before us. You know, another fascinating parallel, um, which is a total coincidence, but it is just interesting, is that, uh, and this was the pretense that I sent it to you, John, I said that there is another organization with the acronym ARENA, which forcibly separated children. And so in the article, they talk about the Adoption Resource Exchange of North America, whose acronym is ARENA, as one of the organizations that took Native American children out of their families and adopted them into other families. And I just thought, you know, there's no uh, tie-in from to the ARENA party in El Salvador, which also forcibly removed children. Just one of those cosmic coincidences. Right, exactly. But, you know, I, I was reading it and I was like, wow, that's really interesting that these two entities with the same name did uh, similar things. Uh, so, mm -hmm. again, it's just another interesting article with, uh, I guess, looser tie-ins to, to El Salvador, but it shows how another community of people deals with healing the wounds of war and the truth commission that they put together and uh, how hard it was for that community, both on the, the peop uh, people of Maine and the Native Americans of Maine, to talk openly about some of these things that happened a long time ago. Yeah, that Maine has actually helped fund a, a commission that's looking back at this, and there was some reticence to do that, but to their credit, they have, right? Mm. There's a fascinating quote in the article about one of the commissioners on the, on, on the commission. He said, it's purposeful why we don't know about Indian country. He points out that the disjointed histories of the discovery of America still remain largely unresolved. And then there's this great quote I loved, I'll remember, from this article. He said, one from the boat, one from the shore. Two different narratives, two different stories. And I thought that's, you know, that's very similar to what we're trying to put forth in the documentary, right? Is how jarring it was for you to experience, like, and, and we, we do experience it. You know, we, um, when we visited... You start, you start by sharing your perspective on your story and your family was immediately like, whoa, wait a minute, we experienced it differently, right? And it was, I remember being there, it was jarring for me. Not everybody was very nice and we were sharing food and, and it was, but it was, it was quite a lesson for me. Like, and, yeah. and you're talking about how to my family, it was more about Mama Chila and her struggle and the, you know, the, her journey to reunite family as opposed to, I guess, my search for identity. Yeah. I mean, your, your, your story, you know, we begin in telling it very much by saying, here's this life that was upended. I mean, you may have had some questions and stuff, but here you are pretty, by all accounts, pretty normal American kid. Right. And at 17 years old, or was it 16, 16, 16, so. 16 and going through high school and 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 all of a sudden something you can't even understand completely literally changes your identity and that's that's I think 
a good beginning point in terms of telling a narrative. And their point was, well, okay, <laughs> you know, like, okay, you know, I'm sure that they listen and that's very important to them and uh, there's a lot of empathy there. But at the same time, it's, well, yeah, but, you know, our, our story is, is uh, the same, but, but totally, it's from another shore, really, mm -hmm. right? Like right. This quote. One one story from the boat, the other from the shore. Like you, you both experienced two very different sides of the same conflict. event. Yeah, yeah. So those are, I guess, uh, we're, we're going to try and keep this on the shorter side today. But those are a few articles which we highly recommend that you uh, check out. We'll put links in the the show notes for where you can read them. But, um, I think that's I think that's it for today. I guess final point I'd make is it was fascinating in these examples how close to home they were, right? I mean, one of the articles has a lot of stuff about Lowell, Massachusetts. Um, growing up in Newton, of course, you know, I'm sure we both know people that lost ancestors in the Holocaust. And then here's a story about Maine. So, right. you know. Which and, is and, where, you know, I've gone to vacation a couple uh, for a couple of years, we went and rented a house up there. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, me too. Exactly. It's, it's all parts of our childhood. And uh, I, I think your point about the two different stories, you know, the same story from two different points of view is, is very good because, you know, we are experiencing it much the same way that people watch our film and are discovering a new reality. Here are a couple articles that are presenting a different reality to what you and I grew up with, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I think it's this, it is very hard to, there's a lot of complexity out there and it's very hard to understand them. But I think reading and understanding articles like this are important because it, it does give you that other perspective and it, it allows you to see some of the things that you may not be aware of. So I guess, I guess that is our final point. And uh, thank you so much for listening. We will be back very soon with some more guests. We have some in the pipeline and we are very excited to be, to share those with you when they come out. And for everybody in Boston, good luck with all the snow. <laughs> Stay safe. Take care. Bye.